0: This is the 343 Podcast. I'm your host, John Pronich. Welcome to the show. Michael Perkins is a youth soccer coach, a high school teacher, a father, a husband and everything else that goes along with being a soccer fan in the United States. and Michael and I have gotten to know each other over the course of the last, I don't know, decade or so, maybe a little bit less than that, Uh, six, seven years probably. Um, But most importantly, we met in Las Vegas for the first time at the 343 Coaching Summit that 343 organized in 2015, but we've been connected through the 343 network for, uh, like I said, many years now. And I've had the pleasure of seeing Michael work uh, from afar, watching videos that he posts of not only his teams, but of his sons playing uh, in the DA. And I've also had the chance to sit and talk at length with Michael before about different experiences in American soccer, be it coaching, coaching education, uh, player development, all sorts of things. And so when I asked Michael to be a guest on this podcast, uh, we both had to kind of decide, well, what are we going to talk about? And we just went for it, to be honest. And I think that we cover a lot of interesting topics. We talk about coaching education and his experiences, taking the F, the E, the C, and the B course for that I can remember from off the top of my head. Uh, we talk about his experiences in the actual classroom as a high school teacher and how that helped him when he was a brand new soccer coach. And then we talk about a whole bunch of stuff, the problems in American soccer, uh, player development, uh, what he sees from his perspective in California, Central Valley, and being in a very disconnected part of the state when it comes to Uh, the interconnectedness that you see in major markets. So he's got a very interesting perspective. He's a very, very bright guy. He's raising two very good players. And I hope and I think that you are going to enjoy this conversation that I recorded with Michael. Before I get into it, I want to also mention that we met... Because of the 343 Coaching Education Program. And if you're wondering what that program is, well, it is the program that helps to support and fund this podcast. And you're going to hear Michael talk a lot about uh, education. And I go on a little bit of a soapbox talking about uh, learning and preferring to learn from people that have proven soccer methodologies and that is exactly what the 343 program offers. It's a, a proven methodology, and you get to see real practices and real games and the execution. You get to hear the flow from the real coach. You get to see the reactions and the execution from the real players. So it's a very, very special program. I've yet to find anything even remotely similar. Uh, and I've searched high and low for coaching education for myself as well. So if you want to check that out, and if you want to help to support this uh, f- podcast, uh, you can go to 343coaching.com. That's the numbers three, four, and three, coaching, all spelled out.com. All right, let's get into today's episode of the 343 podcast with guest Michael Perkins. fine oh yeah i hear you
1: fine yeah yeah no no problem so i had to go to my classroom so uh there would be no uh home distractions you
0: know that's funny (laughs) you're so you, you teach at a high school right
1: yeah yeah no i teach here at pacheco high and uh it's homecoming uh night tonight uh for american football and jimmy was homecoming prince so i just finished driving in the parade (laughs) (laughs)
0: <laughs> <laughs> oh you're actually driving i didn't realize that yeah
1: yeah yeah i was uh i was driving the freshman prince and princess uh truck
0: that's funny dude so that's funny
1: amazing experiences
0: <laughs> dude, it's so crazy to me like like thinking back like what you know i i didn't actually participate in a lot of like high school extracurricular activities besides being an athlete but like you know today he's you know parading around in the back of a car doing the you know the whole king and queen stuff or prince stuff and then tomorrow he's going to put his cleats on and he's going to go score three four goals whatever for for the da which is crazy to me just to think about how that works for kids
1: yeah i just think it's funny you know like uh, it's just such so different now with with travel being what it is and you know when we were you know growing up i mean it was school and travel was a side thing if it even was there and now it's like so many of these kids especially in soccer you don't even play high school anymore and and uh they're you know like jimmy he's he's gone from four o'clock till ten thirty, eleven o'clock depending on when we get back or what time the practices are and so yeah i mean this is this is abnormal i mean fortunately they have generation adidas cup this weekend and and uh, sac republic is not invited to that because they're not mls and so uh he has a weekend, so to speak, off. Although we have scrimmages both days, <laughs> <And that's, laughs> so I've freed up some time this week,
0: dude. That, that's another crazy thing to me. Is that you know MLS has this little tournament of the uh, of their own, rightfully so, I guess. Like you know, it's their organization, and and you know they have all their little franchises that that they that they you know fund. So you know, get together and do a little tournament for yourselves. I I I get that, but you know, Sac Republic is beating or competing with these MLS uh, academies. And to think, like, you know, that being an MLS academy comes with this tag of, oh, we're the best, and we're so much better than all these other ones that aren't MLS academies and blah, 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 blah. It's like, well, no, like, not really. Like, not really. I don't know. Yeah,
1: no, we just, like, this past weekend, uh, we, uh, the 15s, 17s, and 19s played Earthquakes. 15s was 3-0 sack the 17s was 4-0 sack and the 19s was 2-0 sack the weekend before we played Se- seattle and portland and it was an unbeaten weekend for Sac republic against those guys and so yeah i mean it's it's interesting you know you see uh i like i looked the youth so we have another student on campus that i used to coach that plays for the earthquakes 15s and so i checked to see how they were doing and they beat vancouver 2-1 it's like you know we just beat quakes 3-0 and it I mean, realistically, it should have been like 8 9 10 0, one of those games. And uh, you're just like, man, it stinks because what a great opportunity to go play against you know, some of the other teams in, that, in the Western region. It'd been awesome. But unfortunately, it's just not available for us.
0: <laughs> yeah, dude, it's, it's so crazy. I was actually just uh, I'm in, a, in a pretty good um, uh, text message conversation with Joey right now. And we're talking mm-hmm. about just the, all the different leagues and everything in, in Southern California. He had sent me a video of one of his teams and, and then I, it prompted me to ask him like, Hey, like, do you guys play in, in CSL or do you guys play in SCDSL? So let me see if I can get these acronyms right. So Coast Soccer League would be CSL and then Southern California Developmental Soccer League would be SCDSL. And both of those, well, CSL is one of the oldest leagues in Southern California. It's like one of the original youth soccer leagues in in California. Um, But SCDSL is, is fairly new and started after i believe like a little bit of a power struggle in southern california and especially after the da and ecnl came into the picture so it's just funny that you have all these different leagues that are claiming to be you know the best place for your kids and and elite and developmental and you know throw in like all the buzzwords into do an acronym and 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 that's what you get in, in not just southern california and northern california and and all over the place right but it's just, it's freaking yeah. crazy to me. I'm going, I'm on a soapbox right now, Michael, get me off of it. <laughs> yeah,
1: no, I mean, you're, you're, you're right. And it, and the funny thing is like, you know, even in that conversation on Twitter the other day, and it's like, it, it almost, I mean, the DA clearly, if you're looking for like the top, top teams, you're, you're going to find them there just because of the way everything is right now. But I mean, they all have problems, right? They all have, they each have their issues and, it's funny. I mean, like that's the conversation that one guy, you know, talking, trying to. You're in the Central Valley. There's, there's, there's Latino leagues everywhere, and it's, yeah. I mean, the mainstream leagues compete with those leagues for players, and yeah, it's, it's nuts. The whole thing is nuts. And you know, you have, you have Coast League, you have the the Development league, which is really like a DA two league, from my understanding of things. And talking with some of the coaches who've been engaged in that when I was in the B course, they were kind of explaining. And then you have the d a itself, and you're right, they're all claiming that they're they're, they're the best, but in the end it, I think it really comes down to a couple of factors, like who's coaching and who's directing, and what is the end objective and If you have a good director in a club environment and they're getting top level teams into top level competitions because it's challenging kids and getting them where they need to be then. And that's probably a a good place. Just like you know, there's there's clubs. I mean, you probably hear it all the time with the DA, where there are there are programs that just are not high caliber programs in the least in any of those in any of the ways that I just described.
0: Yeah, I know there was talk amongst um, some DA coaches for a while about um, closing it off even more, like having it was either going to be, you know, uh, like an upper division of DA teams, you know, the high performing DA teams, then still give like these, you know, these other people, there's these other clubs, like the tag of DA, but they'd be like DA2 or whatever. So they would just be segmenting themselves, um, which would be hilarious to me if they if they did that, because it's like you deemed this person worthy of entering the DA and then they just kept getting mopped up like five zero six zero seven zero 0 6 every single weekend. So at what point does it become not worth it? For these really good teams, to spend all of their money traveling, you know, five six hours, or and sometimes flying, and, and having to spend the nights in hotels and and meals and, and and these things, right? Like, at what point yeah. is it is it just not worth it for these teams to you know make that effort and make that trip? And so I know that those conversations happened in, in yeah in in different areas of of the DA. I don't know where it stands now or if it if it if anything's going to come to fruition from that but i know that there were very very many upset coaches parents players uh directors because they're like what the hell are we doing guys like this is ridiculous
1: yeah when i i was i had the fortune of like two years ago when the when the showcase was in indianapolis uh being in the meeting and where you know jared and Miklos talked about that that they were gonna they were looking at tearing it out and creating more competitive tiers. Cause it, it wasn't, it's not valuable. I mean, for, especially when you get to the 12, 13, 14 level and you have some of the really good programs and you're in drive two hours for like nothing. Like you're, there's no competition. I mean, it, it, it so that's, that's tough. And, but you look at the model, everything they're trying to do is pyramid based, right? Like their coaching education, pyramid based. They're, everything's pyramid based structured to filter to the top. And, and they're, they're doing that with, you know, 15, 17s, 19s, creating these talent pools, 12, 13, and 14 underneath that feed directed program, the programs that they have uh, labeled at the 15, 17s, 19s. And I get it. I get it. But it, it, you're right. I mean, it's created some, some lopsided competition at the, at the lower ages and lower levels, especially.
0: Well, I but then and, then,
1: and then, and then, you know, to follow up on that, it's funny because, you know, with the news kind of leaking out today on Twitter about Yuli and Alex going to, <laughs> to right going to Germany. And I got in a conversation with Chris and, and Jordan and it was like, you know, like, at what point do the MLS academies go? What, we're, why are we propping up academies at this point? Because they don't feed us. And I, I'm not saying that, you, you know, Yuli, Alex, eventually Ephraim, these guys shouldn't go elsewhere. I think they should, absolutely. But I'm just saying, like, if I'm an MLS owner and I'm not seeing a, an, a return on my investment, so to speak, with the academy, I, I don't get why you keep doing that uh, other than it's just an artificial model. <laughs> I mean, yep. so, I mean, it'd be awesome if it's fed them. It would be ph- phenomenal. It would be great. But unfortunately, it's not. I mean, looking specifically at, at, at that team, I mean, the, how many of them are actually going to see Galaxy first team minutes? It's, I'm interested to see. <laughs> I mean, it's awesome. They're all going there. I'm there. It's all, I, like, I love the fact that they're all going and challenging themselves because that's probably where they need to be. Right. But if I'm an owner of an MLS a, a team, I'm just might be wondering, like, yeah, we're doing this thing, but I don't see any rewards, which is that going to be a thing that triggers solidarity? Is that going to be the things that triggers some of these other things? I'm interested to see.
0: Well, <laughs> Michael, this is, this is where my brain goes. I can't, unfortunately, I can't say anything, you know, about those guys or, or in regards right. to those guys. But here's, here's where my brain goes, right? Is what is yeah. the incentive for the breakers, for instance, right? So mm-hmm. it's like, like Santa Cruz breakers and, and their mind is just in my head because I saw their, their name on Twitter just a second ago, but it's a good example, right? They have a DA. Uh, what what is the point of them having a DA? Like what? Like where do those players go next? So at the 19s level, you know what do they graduate to? There's nothing. Yeah, and like, so what what is the point of spending hundreds of thousands of dollars over the course of you know years and years and years of these players' lives, and, and not to mention you know the fortune that the parents are investing in the, in their own kids and in this team by traveling, by, you know, putting hotels, by um, meals, cleats, jerseys, all these other things, right? Because they're not funded, I'm assuming, uh, like MLS academies are. Um, so it's like, what is the incentive for, for those guys? I, I, I can't wrap my brain around it. It's like to just light money on fire and then send your kids to college. That, that's the only thing I can come to. Yeah,
1: and what's funny about you know, because my youngest played with breakers last year.
0: Oh, perfect. And so
1: <laughs> I, 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 you know, I, I, know what, I know what you're talking about. And what's, what's interesting there, you know, you talk about articles that have come out recently and the, the whole article about Alisal soccer, you know, uh, Salinas Watsonville, that's, that's what feeds breakers. That's what should be feeding breakers. Because if you look at the model, that's where they should be pulling from, because that's just a, such a talent-rich, talent-rich area. But everything you just pointed out is why none of the kids go there. They don't see a value in going to play for the breakers. Like, where, where is this taking me? So they quit if they do play and go play high school because it's just as much for them and it's free. So it's closer to home. And it's a lot closer to home. They don't have to drive 30, 35 minutes from Salinas or 15, 20 minutes from Watsonville. And they still get high-level play in in that area. So, yeah, why join the DA? It doesn't make sense for a lot of them. And so I know if they could find a way to hook that population and get them to go there, they would have a really, 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 really strong program. Um, but again, what are they graduating to? I know that last year they started the PDL team, but, you know, what What are the end goals there and what does this academy eventually feed if the, if they are building? And, you know, I haven't spoken to them recently, but,
0: you know, yeah,
1: <laughs> everything you're saying, but hundred
0: <laughs> percent. Yeah, and, and I don't want it to sound like I like I singled them out. Like I said, it, it I just saw their name, you know, right before I called you, so that's why their name was fresh in my head. But you could insert uh any DA team that's not you know, that doesn't have a, a first team or, or um or a USL team attached to them into that spot where I where I mentioned the breakers. Uh, um you know there's there's, you know, what more than two hundred I think now development academies. So it's like, you can enter any of those teams in that spot. It's like, what are you guys doing for, for the kids? Like what, what is the next step after u 19s? There's nothing. Right. And
1: And that impacts so many things because if there's a first team, right. The idea is that you're developing players for your first team. So there's an end objective. They're seeing a 14, 15, 16, 17 year old. And they're saying, where is this kid going to project? What do we need to do for them to get them ready to be an adult player for us? versus you coach in a U14 academy. It's like the exits at 14. All right, let's get through the year. Let's, you know, we're, we're, there's no, there's not necessarily a target in the end in terms of this is what we want our players to look like. Here's how we develop them and get them there. These are the type of kids we recruit to get in here because they fit what we want to do. And when you, I think when you strip the top element out, you lose kind of the the structure that gives you the rest of it.
0: Uh, 100%. And, and one thing that you mentioned too is like, you know, if the, if the first team is looking at the youth academy to provide players for it, it's like, okay, well, naturally not everybody's going to be, you know, a good fit or there's not going to be a place for everybody. So as that player is coming up and say they're a left winger, right. And, and the club knows that it's going to need a left winger in, in one year or, or two years. It's like, okay, well then this person is actually developing for that specific position. And then, the, you know, if, if, you know, the club has an excess of, cent- of center mids, you know, how, how can we use this crop of young players uh, that we've developed and that, you know, we think are very good, but we just don't have room for them. Like, what can we do next for them? And, and what comes to mind is like how many different players have come through the Barca Academy, you know, that, uh, you know, great players, great players. They just There was no room for them when Iniesta was on the field or Xavi was on the field or Busquets was on the field. So, you know, Tiago has to leave, like he has to go somewhere else. It doesn't mean that, you know, that that he was, you know, that the road was over for him, but he just goes somewhere else and and finds a new path. But here there's no path. Like there's nothing like it's just 19s or like you mentioned 14s and then done like nothing college maybe, but you're not, you know, the teams aren't developing, you know, players for college. I know that's what people like to say, but that's not true. No way. That's true. Like, like there's no coach that is developing a player for a college program, like specifically for a college program. That's false. Like anybody that's saying that is lying. <laughs>
1: yeah. Now I, I, I have that conversation a lot. Like even with high school kids and they're sitting there and they're looking at their options and I'm like, well, what kind of, how do you play? Right. Like on your level, how do you play? How do you like to play? Oh, you like to be a small, you're, you're a small midfielder who likes to touch the ball and play, you know, like you possession you know, oriented play, but you want to go to Stanford right? Like Stanford, you're going to get missed the entire game as they bomb the ball over the top of you. Now they're very successful with what they do, but any coach say, oh, I'm training them for college. Who, who are you training them for? Who are you prepping them for? Right? Like, come on. It's just the idea of we're getting you ready for college. You're not, you're not doing any specific training that's going to prepare them for one place.
0: Specific is, is the, is the correct word too. Like there's no criteria or specific criteria that people are, uh, you know aiming to to fulfill there's there's nothing specific about it it's just this massive generalization saying we are preparing players for college it's like no you fucking aren't you're not doing anything you're not sorry for my language
1: yeah. no 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 worries <laughs> uh, no worries
0: <laughs> no no worries at
1: all no yeah and you, you're right i mean it but it's also you know coaches promising college and all you start getting down that avenue and it's just it's hold it it's and we're going to go down another wormhole right here, obviously, but it's all part of the, it's all part of the sell job that is the pay to play model, right? We've got to sell people on what you're paying for. Right. And, and what's funny is, you know, God forbid they should share the statistics that they're better off just pocketing the money and saving it and putting it in an account because they have more likely to get money out of it. How many of these, how many of these people promising college or are prepping your kid for college? are telling these parents and kids, yeah, oh, by the way, colleges only have 9.9 scholarships at the Division one level if they're fully funded, right? And that's going to be split scholarships. So your kid needs to have really good grades if they're looking at a full ride or you're paying out of pocket. So even when we advertise, we got you somewhere, yeah, you might've gotten in there. They might've recruited you and they might even offer you scholarship money, but it might only be 30% of your, of your costs. So how are you making up the difference of that? And so, you know, this whole sell job of scholarships and all this, there needs to be a lot more realism about what it really is, because it's, it's, it's almost not fair.
0: <laughs> no, 100 percent. I agree. I 100 percent agree. Are you still coaching junior college?
1: Yeah, yeah. Uh, so this is, this is the first year trying that. I wanted to see what it was like and how it would go and what coaching that age group was like, you know, having coached high school and youth and wanted to give it a shot, see how it was for me.
0: <laughs> yeah. And and the reason why it, uh, it popped into my head too, is because there is a guy that does, in my opinion, very good work um, at the junior college level. And he kind of operates and floats under the radar. Like nobody really uh, goes after the players that he gets. And so he, he ends up getting like these fantastic players in Taft, like in the middle of nowhere. And he just, he, he wins championships and, and league titles. Like, nobody's business and then moves his players on after two years uh to to universities or e- even i think um you know lower lower division um your second division professional teams I, I i'm pretty sure he's done that um man his name's escaping me angelo i think is his name uh um- yeah, we didn't
1: play yeah, staff. We went down to Lemoore and played West Hills this year. But, say, I think they're not in that league, but they're in that area.
0: Yeah, kind of. no, yeah, they're, they're in that area. And, um, oh, man, that's so funny you mention West Hills because I remember West Hills was, was re- heavy recruiting some of my guys when I was coaching high school soccer. And, uh, and then, you know, some of my guys end up going out to West Hills, have a terrible experience. And, you know, come to find out Taft just down the road has a great team and a great experience. And and they were doing, you know, great work playing, you know, pretty, pretty fantastic soccer, actually. You know, there's there's a definite style there, which is lacking at the junior college level. And and they definitely have something something to work with when you consider uh, the constraints that they have to work within. You know, only having players for two seasons and and not getting the best of the best. But uh, but yeah, like the like the people I forget where my mind was exactly when, when this team came up, but it had something to do with, you know, the promise of, of, you know, scholarships and things like this. And I'm pretty sure that this guy's just real. Like, he's like, dude, you have, you have a fucking 2.0. You're not going to get into UCLA. You're not going to go to Stanford. Like, you're not going to go to these places. Come here, play with me. And win games, play good soccer, train throughout the year and then get ready to move somewhere else. And he's been pretty successful at it. And I and I hope that he doesn't mind me speaking about his program because I I I don't want to, you know, speak on his behalf, but uh, I I do want to congratulate his good work because over, you know, many many years I've I've seen and heard great things about him.
1: Yeah, no, it's 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 I mean, one thing uh, we we've played about half our schedule and we're in a complete rebuild model i mean mode and so it's, junior it's college a is always in that <laughs> oh, oh but no i mean this it's uh, uh Gav has not had a successful history uh since they re, since they started the program so it's been uh we, we're right now with a full freshman team and i say full lightly because we are very light on players and so uh it's it's been you know resetting the culture and all of that and so but even with the teams we've played i can honestly say i mean I want to say there's maybe one, two teams that actually really play nice, like good soccer, like enjoyable soccer. Most of them, it's just like bang it and try to hit our fast forward and no, no real tactical design behind what they're doing. And I don't have anything against direct play, but I mean, if you watch teams that play direct, there's no accident where they're going with the ball. Everything's choreographed and rehearsed, and they, they know the me- mechanisms, they know their triggers, and they're practicing rehearsed in nauseum, so they understand when and how to hit it uh, versus teams that are just hitting it and relying on athleticism versus athleticism to get the win in space, for example. So, um, but it's been fun to see, not always been on, fun to be on the receiving end, but fun to see some teams just play beautiful soccer. <laughs>
0: I just realized that we're like 25 minutes into this conversation and people that don't know who you are, are going to be like, why should I care about this guy's opinions about <laughs> soccer at all? Right. So we've kind of hinted at, you have a kid that's in the DA, uh, yeah. you're, you're a high school teacher and a, and a junior college coach, but there's, this is but some of the problem sometimes is that, you know, if I record with Joey or, or somebody that I know like fairly well, like I just jump into it like a conversation and I, I yeah. forget that people are listening to this and are like, yeah like who are these people like tell me about them so maybe we should 25 minutes in give these people like a proper introduction and 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 maybe tell people you know how how many different aspects of the game you're involved in as far as coaching parenting um being a fan or whatever
1: yeah no that's i mean it's kind of interesting to start i mean i me personally i just finished the b license this past spring um thanks to having had the opportunity to coach in the da and uh so that was kind of like up to last year building from the rec level through the bronze level and uh the central valley is a little bit different here uh because a lot of places you know you have your big clubs you have your first second third fourth team at each in each level uh, the central Valley of California is like the wild, wild West in a lot of ways. And that coaches form teams and coaches take them to clubs. And, um, so they're trying to regulate that a bit more, but at the time we put a team together out of our hometown that had both of my sons on it. And so that team kind of progressed through the different levels and everything. And honestly, I, I learned along the way, I, um, a unique, uh, story in that I never played soccer. I was, uh, uh, football baseball basketball guy uh, out of high school and soccer just kind of captured me uh, around 2002 uh, world Cup in particular and so gradually as my kids started you know getting into it I was like you know I think my first coaching job was a JV soccer position and I uh, I interviewed and I was just like I don't know a lot about soccer at all you tell me what you want me to do and all they said we just want discipline and I was like, well, discipline, I can do because I coach basketball. <laughs> ball. I'm like, I can discipline. That's not a problem. I mean, that's what I do, right? And so I, I knew nothing. I was really relying on the varsity coach and, and those guys to really coach me up. And what I discovered very quickly is that they didn't know much more than me. And um, so I was left on my own. And at that point in my in my wisdom <laughs> – I, I understood one thing about soccer training and that was triangles. And so <laughs> we worked triangles like you would not believe. I mean, basic technical skills and triangles to death. But we were disciplined. And uh, I think at one point I bought like a US manual and I was like, I'm gonna get all this great stuff out here. I was so excited buying this $30 book and I don't think I used it at all. But uh, <laughs> I uh, I did it, I did it. <laughs> we did these triangles like like every, every practice. I just laugh now. because like, it's all I knew. I, 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 didn't even know formation. So I just made up a formation. I'm like, we're going to put triangles everywhere. Everything's going to be a connecting triangle in our shape. And you know, Hey, the kids got better. We improved a lot by the end of the season, uh, varsity guys coming down, training with us and all of that. But that was my, like my first coaching experience and no licensing, no education, nothing. And, um, Ended up going to youth soccer and coaching at the rec level. And there I got kind of my F and E license. But even that, it's not education. And I was kind of like, it, it was more like a pedagogy of how to teach. And so then it was like, well, I need to be, I'm thirsty. I want, I want to learn. And fortunately, NorCal is phenomenal with coaching education. And so, you know, I, I, through the years, I've been exposed to a lot of, you know, fantastic people, Franz Hoek, Albert Puige. Um, Jitka, Klimkova, a lot of, a lot of coaches they bring in to to Northern California for trainings and was able to pick their brains uh, just from seeing what they do, asking questions occasionally, but, and and learning and growing along the way. So in the end, my coaching path ended up taking me where I, where I coached high school, coached multiple travel teams, eventually into the DA coached the U12 and U13 level the first year uh then now into uh into college and giving that a shot to see how I feel. But I'm still coaching the high school. Uh so doing both of those, which works really well for my schedule because my boys are both in the DA. One's a U14 and one's a U15. Uh both are with SAC Republic this year, but last year Jimmy was with SAC Republic and Jake was with the breakers. And so that that led to some challenging uh challenge driving and whatnot. So you know, that side of my parent, uh, then I have the coaching aspect and, uh, what am I missing? Yeah. And then a fan, of course, you know, Barca on car rides and everything. So, cause we're driving everywhere.
0: <laughs> yeah. I, I want to go back to what you mentioned about like your first experience getting your, your F and your E license. And when I first heard you talk about it, I, th- I thought you were talking about like, your F and E license, like your, like your F and <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was like, Oh dang, i yeah. are going for it. Um, but no, so like your, your first experience getting your F and your E license, you said it was more like learning how to teach, but at that point, were you already a teacher?
1: Oh yeah. This is my I think 20th year teaching. Okay. So, um, yeah, no, I've been teaching for, I think at that point, probably like almost 10 years, maybe set me yeah, close to 10 years.
0: So how 10, did that, yeah, about, how did that experience that you already had in your belt as a teacher help you with the transition into this new sport?
1: Um, well, I think what helped me more than anything, and I I think it's true of almost any sport is that while the flaw was that I didn't know very much, it was also a benefit because I didn't come with all this baggage of things that I'd been taught that probably weren't the right things to do. And so being a blank canvas, I was able to kind of learn everything firsthand and look at practices and see ultimately, you know, in the end that during that first coaching gig, honestly, my assistant coach goes, Hey, you got to check out this video. And it was Brian's team, and you know, being able to acquire stuff that way as first first time experience stuff was was huge. And as you know, as a classroom teacher, I was just looking like, okay, there's a method for teaching this stuff that is logical and makes sense, and it makes sense to me because in the end, even, and I watched videos of myself back then. And I'm like, Oh my God, that, that was bad. But, uh, <laughs> you know, like, uh, my, my current self would kick my old self's ass right now. But, uh, but <laughs> even so the idea was that, you know, you want autonomous players on the field who can make their own decisions. And, and, and so you know, it, it presented kind of that. And so the same thing in the classroom, I guess in the classroom, we're trying to, we're trying to create the next generation of people who can make their own decisions, not robots. People who um, can look at information, form their own opinion and their own action, defend the reasons for doing it while still being understanding of other people's opinions and being able to take all that into account to make their final decisions. Well, it's the same thing in in the soccer world. And so uh, the two kind of blend really, really well. In my opinion, for that. And what's funny is, I actually take a lot of the soccer stuff to the classroom because they do such a good job in a lot of ways
0: of teaching how to teach. What subjects do you teach?
1: Uh, so currently, I, I teach mostly freshmen. I have, I teach geography and then I teach AP human geography and AP European history.
0: Got it. Yeah, it's, I'm, I'm trying to figure out like how you would relate you know, soccer into that, but I guess you're talking more about like the, like the actual, just like the, the transferring of information and, and, and things like that, not necessarily, you know, making soccer the the subject of the day.
1: Yeah. It's not, it's not like the, it's not the technical and tactical aspect of it. I mean, sometimes of course, there's an example I might use that the drawback on that because I mean, I'm in the central Valley. We have a lot of soccer players, so you're going to relate stuff to them, but um it's more of the the teaching side of things, and uh, that that's one of the things I found valuable out of the C and B course. And I know uh, they are controversial for some of the messages that are pushed in them, um, but I found that they the the valuable stuff was, you know, from them was the, was the teaching components, trying to get people to understand how to teach the game. Now, whether you agree with their actual methodology of, of what they're teaching, that's a different argument. But how to teach the game was really valuable, I thought, for a lot of people. And that's some of the stuff even that bleeds over into what I do in the classroom.
0: Now, see, that's where I find things about the, the coaching courses very, very uh, interesting. And you use the word controversial. And we actually had the, the chance to meet up and talk about it. Recently, over the summer, when when you you and your wife and your friends were were in the area, um, but it, what you just said is is agreeing with their with their methodology. So this is where I get really hung up: is that throughout my experience of taking the C course, I didn't, I I never knew what U.S. Soccer's playing or coaching methodology is, and so I don't know what they want to see on the field now I understand and I agree in a lot of ways with how they teach how to teach if that makes sense but yeah
1: no that's what I'm saying but
0: but the but the plain methodology is absent and and this is where you know Gary and I have talked at length about this um, specifically uh, the last couple months I think on, on a project that I've been working on but it's like you know, they don't have a proven methodology on the field. Now you can argue that they have a proven methodology of how to teach other teachers. I would agree with that. But when it comes to, you know, the the sport itself, like what is their vision for how they want the United States to play right now? I think that 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 doesn't exist. I don't know if it changes in the B course though. Maybe you can fill me in.
1: Yeah. um, You know, I the methodology piece and this is what i actually found and my experience obviously is different and every course is different because you have different instructors and uh, i we had a pretty open we were the first round that went through the c course and at that point it was pretty like rondos are only done in the warm-up if you're going to do it and that was a pretty liberal approach right like that instructor was pretty liberal compared to what I'd heard from other courses that were going on the, at the same time, which is rondos are like another four-letter word. You just don't do them and you don't say them. But in in my C course, the instructor was actually okay with it. Uh, if you can relate it back to what you're working on and you could, um, and, 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 and you did it in your warm-up because it's of course non-directional, right? Which is where a lot of them got hung up. When I went to the B course, the mentality I got and the message we got from the instructors, which much, was much more of, you're going to coach your methodology. We're here to help you become better at teaching it, whatever that is. If you can like defend and show why what you does work, what what you do works, then keep doing it. We're just here to help you sharpen up to get better at it. And so that's where it was a you know, I, and you could see some of the changes that were happening between the C and and then when we when I took the B. And so I completely agree with you on the, the teaching component. That's, that's where I think they were more aimed, because that was more of my experience. Um, and I 100% agree with you that they don't have an idea, or maybe they do, but I think it's difficult for them to either get the buy-in, so they don't try, um, but they don't have a method, a, a, a coaching, I mean, a, a soccer methodology of, hey, here's how the U.S. is going to play. So I agree with you 100% on that. But I'm also wrestling with that because I've said this, and I'll say it over and over again, that it's a challenge. Like, how do you unite a country as big as ours in terms of style of play? Because you've been to DA showcases, you've been to playoffs, and there are some dramatically different styles of play across this country. And when we had, what was it, the U-17 group that didn't have anybody from California, I believe, only one person or two people from the West it was clear they were not looking for a style of play that we see with an FC Dallas or with a, with a LA galaxy, or that we see in a lot of, you know, the West where these kids watch Latino football. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I think, I think they have a challenge and not, not to defend them, but they have a challenge in terms of how do you unite a country where you have a lot of people who think the EPL is it. And maybe pep changes some of that. I don't know and then you have a whole other segment of the population that's like no La Liga and Liga MX is it and so uh, you got that dynamic i i i think i see what they want which is that big target nine that plays like he's in the EPL a couple of uh, a six that's physical and strong like the EPL wingers that and and fullbacks that run like they're from La Liga and Liga MX and then whatever fills in between but i mean i don't know that you it's tough to come up with a methodology. How do you teach that nine to play like Suarez when he's Ibrahimović? <laughs> and you know, like it didn't work at Barca for Pep. I, it, it would be very hard to make it happen.
0: Yeah. No. And it and it goes back to what we were talking about, you know, 20 minutes ago or 25 minutes ago is like, what are we developing our players for? Like, what is the objective of, of the DA? Like, like what what does the end product need to look like or or what are the boxes that our players need to check when they graduate from the U19 level in order to be considered for MLS or for the national team or or so on right and and that's where i i really struggle and i feel like you know you 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 mentioned something that i agree with as well that it's very hard to unite the entire country Number one, I don't know if we need to unite the entire country. I think we need to just unleash the entire country and let everybody just compete with their own methodologies and and you know institute a way for you know, guys in the Central Valley to freaking win their way to the top. So that's not my always my number one point that I think I think you know is missing. Um, but but yeah, not 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 having a soccer methodology and changing the coaching courses to like teaching courses you know, like teaching coaches how to teach, basically. Uh, Yeah. I I just, I I feel like that's letting them off the hook. I I feel like, you know, not having, you know, a soccer methodology, a proven soccer methodology, you know, one that they can show examples of themselves executing on the field, saying, hey, like, you know, if you teach like this, this, and this, you know, here's an example of what this is going to look like on the field, and, and here's my team doing it. And, you know, that doesn't exist inside U.S. soccer right now. Like that that, that yeah. type of example. And and
1: well, I understand what you're saying. Part of me looks at it too, though, and it's like, you know, I got a son He's playing with Sac Republic. He's a pretty good player. But it's not Sac Republic's job to prepare him for the national team. It's Sac Republic's job to prepare him for their first team. Very true. It's, it's San Jose Earthquake's job to prepare their players for their first team. LA Galaxy's job to prepare them for their first team. And so – like, I, I can't imagine the Spanish Federation saying, hey, Barca, that's really cool what you do, but we're going with a, a more uh, Real Madrid methodology now. So you're going to have to do that to get your coaches licensed. So I look at it on that side here is like the ultimate goal of clubs is, is to prepare players for their first team, which, you know, kind of going circular. That's where some of the issues when we first opened this conversation is, you know, that that's not there's a disconnect currently in the country on that. But that aside. Clubs, each club should have its own identity, its own methodology, and it should be their decision. And I, 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 I understand why you would only in that if you're viewing it in those terms, why you would only want to teach the coaches how to teach, because the club should be teaching them the methodology at that point, of the soccer side. Yep. And so, what that will mean, though, of course, is that the the U.S. national team and and the federation. Will then decide, hey, here's how we want to play, and inherently by doing that, they're going to knock kids or, or and adults eventually out of their feeder system because they don't match the style of play. But that happens everywhere else in the world too.
0: Yep. Yep. I was just listening to an interesting podcast, or maybe it was an audiobook. I can't remember where was I driving. I can't remember. Um, but it was basically talking about like you know. There's going to be winners and losers, and there's going to be people that are left behind. Like, that's just a natural byproduct of, you know, what this is. And, you know, in a country our size where there's over 350 million people, roughly now, you know, and and only 11 men get to start for the national team, you know, know, there's going to be a lot of losers, uh, unfortunately. There's going to be a lot of people that don't make it that far. So going back to what you said, like, that's, you know, that's an astronomically um, or an astronomic task, I guess, is that a right, right word for that? I don't yeah. know. A uh, very difficult task for a federation to, to tackle, but I don't want them to use that as an excuse, uh, you know, saying like, Oh, well we have such a hard job. So, you know, that's why we don't do X, Y, and Z. It's like, you know, I, I, I just, I always come back to, I, I feel like they're just getting let off the hook or, or, or something along those lines. But I'm ultra critical. Obviously, people know that about me. So,
1: yeah, and and you know, it's funny because I was listening to Max and Max and Hurt on the way to practice one day, and Max asked Hercules like, "Who are your eleven right now for the U.S. national team?" And I was thinking, "Oh, well, I'm thinking, you know, you're putting the names in your head. Who would it actually be?" And Hercules is going, and I say, "Hey, I can't say who they are." And Max is like, "What do you What do you mean you can't say? You pull the six, got to be one because I don't know." He goes, "Because who's the head coach?" What's their style of play? You know, are they going to play with three in the back, four in the back? What do they want their sixes role to be? What do they want the eights role to be? You know, that's that's uh, you know kind of what we're going down right now. That that avenue is. I mean, even right now, what, we're almost? A, oh, are we over a full year
0: now? Uh, nope. In almost Trinidad. Okay.
1: Almost a full year. And October. We're now conducting interviews, right? And so we still haven't dropped the first team's methodology. Like, what is this coach going to want for the next four years? Right? Like, that hasn't even been dropped yet. And so it, it, it's crazy. <laughs> yep. But yeah, like, I, I, I get what you're saying. But then there, there's this other side. It's like, all right, so we want coaching education to also offer a methodology side, like from the soccer side of things, not just the pedagogy of how to teach it, but the methodology of how to play. Then does the Federation offer side by side courses? Mm-hmm. In which case, then do we have dual licensing paths that are going to get the wallet heavier? Yep. Yeah. Like, so th- those all be, uh, I don't know. Yeah, I agree. I don't want to let them off the hook and I'm not very happy that I dropped whatever it was uh, almost 3,500, 4,000, whatever it was for the B course. And then I see, you know, 21 coaches on a grant fund in, uh, in, in Utah that are professional players. Like that's not cool. Like, I appreciate you paying for theirs, but, could have bought mine down. I'd be happy with
0: that. Yeah. No, it's it's something I I talked with Kai Edwards about too. It's like when he you know we were talking about uh, uh equality and and applying for jobs and 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 whatnot. And I asked him, you know, Kai as a as a black man, like what happens when you get passed over, but a but a girl a female gets the job. And he's like, you know, in that in that sense, I I really don't care, right? And so I started thinking about, you know, how few female coaches we have at at the higher ranks and so it's like okay you know it makes sense to you know try to, to streamline some of these professional women's players to to you know higher levels of coaching but at the same time it's like dude I've been at this for 13 years and I tried for eight years to get into my C license and got denied four times before I got in and and so it's like when I you know when I look at it through that lens, I'm pissed off. But when I look at it through the other lens of like, well, you know, we definitely need more female coaches. I'm happy. So I'm like, well, well, here I go letting them off the hook again. But I don't know. I get frustrated. I mean, in the end,
1: in the end, they, they need more trainers, right? They need more coaching trainers because they can't get everywhere they need to be. I think, you know, from talking to some of them, that's where this grassroots program is supposed to kind of get more on the ground and try and reach more coaches at a local level. And that's why, you know, I think some of the coaches, when you have your B license, you're able to become a grassroots instructor, from my understanding of things, so they can reach more coaches. Because I, I think that's what they need to. They need to. But, yeah, it's frustrating when, you know, you look at how much money. And in and, and fairness to them, some of it is supplemented. I mean, we sat there and counted up the cost for our course. And it was like, yeah, they're covering some, a lot of stuff. But it's still expensive. Yeah. I mean, for the average person. Yeah, I mean, someone's paying, like either if I as a coach pay, I'm, I'm paying out of pocket, but even if the club's paying, then the kids are paying because the fees go up. Yep. So someone's paying somewhere.
0: Yep. Yeah. I was actually very surprised at how many clubs paid for their coaches to be at the C course that I took. And I should also mention that the rec league that I'm affiliated with, I'm a board member at, was very gracious. It gave me $500 um, to to go towards my... ended up being closer to like three grand all said and done after the two weekends um, with, you know, food, travel and staying and everything down there. So, you know, I I was I was very surprised at how many uh, clubs picked up the entire bill for their coaches to be at that course, which, like you just mentioned, isn't the club paying for that necessarily. That is a lot of times parents paying for that. And I don't know if parents understand that that's uh, what their money is going towards. I don't know if parents would have a problem with that to begin with. So. Um, maybe I'm speaking out of turn there, but I I think that it it would be nice to get that out in the open a little bit more than, than I think that it is.
1: Yeah, no, it's funny you bring that up. I mean, looking back, the C course I took, um, my team's parents actually, they covered it. I had coached that group for like three years or four years, something like that. And never took a dime, like paid my own hotel rooms, no fees, and nothing. Like we paid, I think the fees were $30 a month that covered tournaments and everything that we did. Right. And so that, that was kind of a really nice thing that they voted to do was kind of cover the cost of that C course. And so that, that was a nice gift.
0: (laughs) Yeah, no, I, I I totally get it. And, and, and don't get me wrong. I think there's a lot of parents out there that would agree to do the same thing for their for for their kids coaches. Like of course, you know, if you're gonna be volunteering your time, you know, you need you you should you know, at some point get something in return. And a lot of times I think coaches would be more than happy to accept a, a coaching course uh, as a gift from from the team. You know, hey, you know, I, I would love to progress with this team a little bit further and, and further my education. But like you mentioned just a minute ago, those opportunities are scarce now. And and we have plenty of players in this country we have plenty of money floating around to support everything that we want to do as a soccer nation. That's not, that's not a question. Uh, we have plenty of coaches that are willing to volunteer and work for free or cheap at this point. So it makes me believe that they would work for wages, higher wages. Um, so right now it's just the the, the roadblock seems to be uh, you know, not enough education, not enough opportunities for education and not enough places for all these kids and coaches to end up like, you know, if, if the, if the road I'm thinking in my head right now of the movie speed, when Keanu Reeves drives the bus uh, off, the, yeah. off the edge of the bridge, right. It's like, if that's the end of the line for you, 19 players, you know, where you just, you know, you just drive off a cliff that's wrong. You know, you know, these parents yeah. are, are, are that have proven, you know, for a, a decade or more that they are willing to invest thousands of dollars in their players every single year. And then the road just stops at u 19. Like what? Like what? We're just, we're, we're just shutting off this, this, uh, avenue of, of, you know, great support and great revenue and great, uh, fansmanship and everything just because the kids are, are 19 years old now. Like, no, they, they should all be professional. They shall be going to professional teams. I'm soapboxing again. Jesus Christ. Sorry.
1: No, don't, don't even worry. Like, but see in Northern, in Northern California, NorCal is doing a phenomenal they've They've established a league of NorCal, which it continues. I think it's a U23 league. So they, they're, they're trying to do some of those things to kind of close some of those gaps that, that you're referencing right now. And it would be awesome if it existed everywhere. And then, you know, you talk about, well, the structures that are in play right now, as you mentioned, uh, and it's obviously referencing the sanctioning in the federation and the organizations that are sanctioned, and the inability to move upward as is the the very heated, especially Twitter debate. but um you know then what options are there outside of that, and that's where you know I think I caught your attention the other day talking with that that individual about well there's Latino leagues that exist, and you brought up high schools and colleges that exist outside the pyramid. That are intriguing options, as you mentioned
0: <laughs> yeah, and, and where I was going with the college and the high school route is that those are like you know those are those are bodies uh, you know or or leagues, organizations that govern themselves and and they don't rely on the sanctioning of u s soccer, and so these people have found like this niche to operate in where they aren't reliant upon um you know, uh, the country's uh overarching governing soccer governing body, they don't they don't rely on FIFA. They 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 don't respond to anything uh, you know in that regard. Uh they have their in large part their own rules. Um they have their we own to refs. yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um <laughs> which is a whole nother can of worms, I guess. But yeah, I'm
1: on but... there. I just It's funny, but, but, you know,
0: (laughs) there's these, you know, the plans, I think they got, I think they started spreading around this last week or so, of uh, people trying to start a new league outside of, you know, the USSF. So not under the umbrella of USSF. Right. Um, and, and I was trying to think of like, all right, well, you know, can that be done? I was like, absolutely. It can be done. NCAA does it. High school does it. Yeah. Uh, the YMCAs do it. Like all these, you know, other boys and girls club have soccer leagues, like all all these leagues, Latino leagues, all these leagues exist. Yeah. Right. And so yeah. U.S. soccer can't, in my opinion and my understanding of, uh, you know, U.S. law, I guess, which I'm nowhere near qualified to talk about, I guess I should move on from that. But, uh, <laughs> you, you, know, you, you know, nobody, nobody is stopping anybody from starting their own soccer league or business you know no nobody's saying that that that, that can exist right um so these guys that are that are going to try it with this with this new venture i'm curious to see how it's going to work but as we all know uh there isn't a a a country in the world that has two operating fa's uh that report to fifa and how successful can a a league be a soccer league be you know, that's not attached to FIFA in this day and age. And I guess you could look at things like the NFL and major league baseball and NBA and things like that, you know, that aren't part of, you know, a global sanctioning body as examples like, Hey, it can exist. You know, it's, it's, you know, the, the models are there. You can do that. Yeah. But
1: you know, the difference there though, of course, is that we are the market for the NFL. We are the market for major yep. league baseball. Yep. Um, We are majority of the market for basketball and we have the top tier league and that's unquestionable. So soccer, we are not that. And so I I think from my understanding of things is that the main hang up is that if you're not FIFA sanctioned, which, you know, therefore, you know, follow down USSF sanction, it basically prevents you at a club level from playing friendlies against FIFA sanctioned bodies. Yep. Yep. right so that that that's where the real thing uh re- breaks down so i would think from a youth model it, it could certainly exist i you know i don't know you know how financially it would it would work and be successful without the ability to as a top level team play the top uh, the other top level teams in in the country or even in the world market so i'm not sure how that will work but i mean it's completely doable. I mean, like you said, it's been done. I've, I've, well, I've thought about it a lot. Like I think the perfect model would be somehow setting up a charter school that you know, soccer was its thing. And from k through twelve, you you it was school, and the school team was actually a trained soccer group. And if you had a whole bunch of those setting up everywhere, you would have your own league. And whether it's under FIFA's organization or not, it it would certainly solve the, a lot of the pay-to-play issues because it, we had school funding. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, kicking around different ideas, you think about a lot of these different things, and uh, and that's just how do we solve the money issue. Because here in the Central Valley, we don't have uh, – there's not a lot of me. Salinas, there, there's not a lot – they'd rather play – players would rather play locally where it's affordable and still good soccer than – pay thousands of dollars to travel yep and so how do you uh work around that i guess
0: yeah my 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 man terry ransbury is going to hear that uh about the charter school and he's he's probably going to call you and be like dude i've tried it here's the problems <laughs> uh yeah
1: i know i know in california because we looked at it and the issue there is of course it's open enrollment you can't restrict <laughs> and so you're not guaranteed Like, hey, we want to get our players in here that are high level players you can't do it. So, and yeah, so anyway. Yeah. yeah, I'm sure there's 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 challenges everywhere and not you know, we're talking about although know, the federation has its issues, but all these all the leagues do. Every league has its issues. Yep. You know, so Yep.
0: Yeah. Uh I want to make sure I I clarify though because Terry what what he's built is something that's like uh, it, it's a program that runs alongside existing club soccer programs. And so one of the most difficult parts of starting what he started in North Carolina was that the clubs that existed and had you know, control of, of the market were and still are very resistant to um, what, what he wants to do. And so he's had to go above and beyond to assure them that he's not competing with them, that he's providing a place for these players to go to school and get additional soccer training and then send them back to the clubs in the afternoon for their regular club practices and and, oh, yeah. and, and no games on the weekends. and so he's, he's learned how to operate the, th- that way, but I don't know if that's the most efficient way. and I don't know if, I, I, don't, I don't know if they, if they have any thoughts on on you know after having the school for two, three, four years now, I can't remember how long it's been going. But like you know how how is it is it, is it successful is, does it work for the kids I, I I don't know, but uh i I like what you said of you know the kids go to school and and they they train in the morning and then they have their team at night and and that's their team for the weekend like that would be absolutely awesome, uh yeah, which is what they have all over the world, we're the only ones that don't have it at this point, even though m l s academies are starting to do it, like galaxy has their own high school, Salt Lake has yeah. their own high school um Philadelphia. Yep. yep. Yeah. So they're they're figuring it out. I mean, we're we're getting there closely, or or slowly, but um, but you know, there's there's so there's there's just so many other hoops and and circus tricks that you have to, you know, that you have to experience along the way. Uh, and if you're out, if if you're not, if you if you're not in the, you know, if, if you're not in the circus, then you're not in the circus. I don't know how else to put that. You know, you're you're never gonna get in. So.
1: Well, I mean, that was evident and I, I don't want to go in too much in the political angle, but, you know, having listened to some, you know, information, I'm trying to remember who it was that was talking. It was Kyle Martino was talking about the election and just, you know, like if they didn't get the players. There was no chance. And so like uh, yeah, it, it's pretty, it was pretty much a done deal. Yeah. And if you don't have a seat at the table, that's going to, it's going to be a challenge, uh, but that's always the challenge in change is trying to get a seat at the table to influence
0: that change. Yep. Yep. I'm, I'm listening to an interesting audio book right now. That's, it's basically talking about the people that, that broke the system always want to be the ones to fix the system and, and having people, you know, outsiders or, or long shots um, as as people that, you know, should be the people that are coming in to fix it. uh, They they never get their chance or they rarely get their chances is is how I, I guess it's, it's better better formulated and our our latest soccer election was evidence of that and i think that you could draw um some similar conclusions to you know bigger pictures in america right now as well
1: yeah and you know i I, you know as long as we're kind of that metaphor so to speak you know as a history teacher one of the things i talk about when we talk about revolution the idea of revolution is that a lot of times, even when, they, when revolutionaries do succeed in overtaking power, they've unified under the idea that what is there is not good, but they really don't have a working plan beyond that. So that's why so many revolutions actually fail and you end up with the original powers back in place because they, they've, they've united only under the idea that they don't like this one group of people and that they can somehow do a better job but when they actually get into power now they start arguing and fighting over how this should actually be done and you end up with more you know terrible leadership so to speak yep. and eventually the people look back and go well it wasn't so bad before
0: <laughs> yep yep so yep yeah i'm thinking of a of a of a chart i looked at the other day of you know how how control is kind of swapped back and forth over the course of american history and, and, it, and that's exactly what it does. It's just like, okay, back and forth like a teeter totter uh, or see or a seesaw. Um, yeah. And, and some, sometimes the ride's a little bit longer for, for one side than the other and vice versa. Um, but, but I, I think you just described it perfectly. It's like, all right, well, you know, it happened, the revolution happened, and then there wasn't really a plan. And so it's, all right, let's try the other guys again. So, yeah,
1: I mean, and so, I mean, I think that's where we are right now. And, I mean, I, I, I'd, the idea I'd love to have thought that who, if someone else did win, you know, that it would have been different, but it, I think it would have been harder than we realize. Yeah. No, because, I, I think so too. Yeah. I mean, you're, you're dealing with nationwide politics, people in positions of power all around the country and negotiating with them to get them to understand why it's in their interest to do something as well. Yep. That, that's tough.
0: <laughs> what what i i and i've just recently started to to say this and i believe it um but w- what i really think would be beneficial for american soccer would be to have another party involved right now it's it's just it's just one party it's just the guys that have been you know running the show for uh you know the better part of almost 3 decades now uh you, you know it's just been the same cast or or the same mold of people and there hasn't really been an opposition of ideas since, oh, if I have this right, Werner Fricker, um, where, where he was kind of you know the last, last person outside of this mold that have been running U.S. soccer for the last couple decades. Um, so I, I think that you know, having uh, you know, this arena for, for legitimate competition of ideas on a, on a national stage would be very, very beneficial. To bring these people that are, that are pulling the strings behind the show or behind the curtain at U.S. Soccer to bring them out onto the stage uh, and, and get them to talk about why things are the way that they are against somebody that has their own ideas, I think would be super beneficial. But we don't have that. And we saw that even in, in the most current election where people were afraid to debate. They, they didn't even want to debate. They, they chose to just to have five minutes of uninterrupted, uninterrupted uh, speech time instead of debating their, their opponents. And I thought that was very cowardly.
1: Well, and I think, uh, you know, drawing just society kind of levels is we as a society at this point, like to see what we want to see, watch the news we want to watch and talk to the people we want to talk to. Yep. We don't, as a society typically like to engage opposite people, uh, with uh, people with opposite ideologies and uh, we don't like to engage them unless it's name calling for the most part. Yep. Uh, we we all just want to run home, you know, whether if you're a conservative, you want to watch your Fox News, if you're a liberal, you want to watch your MSNBC or whatever variations there are. We're going to watch our version of what we, we want to see and hear the message from people with like-minded ideas. And when you live in that kind of bubble, uh, unfortunately, you're you're not going to get the most out of what you could get.
0: No, I, I agree 100%. And I, I feel like for a long time, American soccer has just been in an echo chamber and and just people have surrounded themselves with yes men and women. And, you know, the end result has, you know, it's, it's all culminated into what we have today, which is, you know, a big steaming pile of mess. And that's all, all over the nation from from youth to pro and everything in between. So, so, I
1: mean, I'm, su- I'm super interested, too. And, I, and again, I'm not a legal scholar, but I, the, I saw something on Twitter today about the Stevens Act. And I'm very interested to see what ends up happening with that, because Congress is talking about toying with the Stevens Act and changing some of the requirements in it. And that, of course, is what the Federation uses for jurisdiction over soccer. So I'm interested to see, you know, what kind of impact that has. I saw one tweet that uh, I think it said maybe 50 percent will be af- athletes on the represent- representation on the board something like that. Um, and then I saw another one that said it could actually further strengthen the stranglehold. So I'm interested, interested to see what happens if that law is, is altered or changed.
0: That was a Supreme Court case, right?
1: Um, I, know, Ted, I think it's Ted just Stevens Congress thing? is going into the Stevens Act. Yeah, they're actually going back in, looking at the Stevens Act and considering alterations to it.
0: And, I, and I, if I'm not mistaken, I believe this is coming from... You know the a little bit of a push from hope solo and from Alex Morgan and from some of the other people that that filed a couple of years ago uh for for Congress to take a look at this stuff and when it comes to equal pay and and, and things like that and and it it spiraled into uh you know bigger things and and maybe maybe u s soccer is gonna is gonna you know kick themselves at the end of the day because they they could have handled this differently then and and now it's gotten to a point where you know, it it's going to be in somebody else's control potentially.
1: Yeah. I, I want to give credit. That was uh, professor, Stephen bank who uh, posted that earlier. So I want to make sure I give credit there.
0: <laughs> yeah. I've talked with him a couple of times in, in direct messages about getting him on the show, but you know, I, I just, I don't know. I don't know how I feel about him.
1: <laughs> well, it's tough because, you know, he's a lawyer. He sees yep. things from a legal perspective because I've had a few interactions with him and i found that he's very open and he'll talk to you about things. And, um, I've, you know, at times questioned, Hey, well, what do you think about this? And he's been really good at it for me, at least saying, well, this is what could happen or it could go this way. They're more than likely to rule this way because of the precedent here. And that's where I'm not a lawyer. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I, I always figure that out on my own. <laughs> yeah.
0: I, I always get hung up when, you know, when somebody kind of goes outside their scope and I do it from time to time, and I have to check myself. It's like my scope is coaching youth soccer, and that's pretty much it, and I can talk a little bit about podcast podcasting um, <laughs> but But when some of these guys like I, I know that that Professor Bank has done this in the past and and writers have done it, journalists have done it, other podcasters have done it when they start talking about like soccer like tactics and technique and and things like that, I'm like, oh uh, okay, like i'm I'm gonna put you on mute for a little bit like you you don't need to be talking about that, so
1: right right now stay in your lane yep stay in we all have to we all have to Yep. Have
0: to. <laughs> yep. and some, somebody's probably going to be listening to this podcast and be like dude you were out of your lane and out of control the entire podcast like you need to check check yourself totally like,
1: who <laughs> are you go back into your classroom future yeah
0: seriously <laughs> well dude we went for an hour and 10 minutes i don't know is there anything sure. that, that you feel like we need to <laughs> that we need to talk about before we hang up
1: no i mean like i I don't know if there's anything else. I knew you had talked to me about the teaching thing, but I think we covered that. So yeah, I'm pretty good. And yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Hey, I'll, I'll ask you the question that I, that I like to ask people at the end of every episode. So um, take some time and think about it. But what, what do people need to know? And you can answer that however you see fit, whether it's from a teacher perspective or a coaching, a fan, a parent. Um, what do people need to know?
1: Yes, because I listened to the podcast. I actually kind of thought about that in advance, so I was ready. (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, It's actually something I took from the B course, and it actually relates to something that we just talked about a few minutes ago. And it's when I was in the B course, and I don't know how many outside of coaching courses have done it, but film yourself and mic yourself. Listen to yourself, the things you say, The throwaway lines that you think are cute or funny listen to everything you say and watch all your actions in in a practice or even in a game and a pregame talk halftime talk whatever it is and you know listen to what you actually say look at how you say it and what the player responses are to it because so many times. And when I've done that, I watch it back and I'm like, Oh, that was terrible. I I can't believe I said that. And I thought that was really funny at the time, but that was, that was not good. Right. That kind of distracted from the message that I actually wanted. And then the second piece of that, that kind of connects to it is at the B, at the B course, you know, you sit in here in, in a room and you're in there with 12 other coaches and they play your mic and they play your film and 12 other coaches just rip you to shreds. Right. They're nitpicking every detail that could possibly rip. Well, why were you standing there? Why did you say that at that moment? Why didn't you call out that right there? And it's very easy to get defensive in that. But I actually found that the most valuable thing, one of the most valuable things out of the course, right, is I found myself after the course hearing all 12 voices on everything I was doing. And even the voices I vehemently disagreed with. It was so important to hear what they had to say, even if it was my own version of it. Like, what would so-and-so say? What would this person say? Because it caused me to question what I was doing so that I would be better at what I do. And I think that's something that no matter what you do, I do it in teaching, too. Really question what is the value in everything you do and hear what other people would see and say.
0: Dude, that's an awesome answer, and I 100% agree, and that was the biggest takeaway from my experience in the C course was being recorded and and mic'd, and having to watch myself, uh, having to record a practice on my own between uh, um, course meetings and evaluate that and and send that into the instructor and and get the feedback again, so 100% agree with you on that. I'm so glad that you brought that up, so thank you
1: yeah no no That that was my big takeaway it was it was so valuable
0: yeah absolutely. <laughs> a painful
1: painful at the moment right like but valuable absolutely valuable.
0: absolutely <laughs> all right man well i'm gonna let you go i think you have a big night ahead of you with uh with the american football game and, and... Oh, we got some fireworks tonight I'm excited. <laughs> <laughs> and, and you got a prince down there too
1: yeah he gets the padded seat i got the metal bleachers though so he
0: wins that's funny <laughs> well uh good luck to good luck to him and then good luck this weekend and and, and good luck in, in the rest of the season at the college as well
1: yeah i really appreciate it thanks john
0: all right brother i'll talk to you soon
1: all right man all right. all right later all right bye.
0: right thank you for listening to another episode of the 343 podcast and a big thank you to my guest michael perkins um i, w- I want to pick up exactly where he left off though with the recording yourself and listening to yourself and and seeing yourself work and it's a big 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 part of the 343 coaching curriculum actually and so the videos that you get inside of the 343 membership are actually of brian doing that exactly so uh, every, every session is a real training session. Every game moment is a real game moment. And Brian is mic'd up and you get to hear the real coaching points happening in, in real time. And to my knowledge, there's not another program like that that exists. Uh, so if you're looking for uh, an example... To learn from like Michael and I discussed uh, throughout the interview like a, somebody that has a proven methodology when it comes to the actual soccer side of things and you want to see the real unfiltered uncensored uh, examples of somebody doing fantastic work that has won trophy after trophy that earned um, you know their way to three DA championship games in a row. Uh, then I highly recommend the 343 Coaching Education Program. Uh, with that, we will end today's episode and we will catch you guys next time here on 343, the 343 podcast. I guess I should mention before I go, but you can find all the information about that and help support this podcast by visiting 343coaching.com. Okay, with that, I'm out of here. See you guys next time.